Hey, dear listeners, welcome to On The Mount Podcast with OK and the and myself and Michael Onyagwa. First things first, we're going to talk about Anchor, one of our sponsors. Uh, it's a fantastic website, too. I mean, if you want to put out audio of any sort, um, it's a fantastic resource. Um, you know, you could use it to record, put out ads. It's um, a, a very efficient website that does a lot of things for you. When you go, when you just go on there, saves time, especially as a smaller business. I've been using it. We've been using it for our productions, and it's been a game changer for us. And you know, advice that you go ahead and use in the encore. Um, definitely take a take a look at it and keep keep going with it. Um, we're going into the new, the a new podcast today. You know, it's going to be about the upcoming election season. In the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about. Some of the perceptions about the um, candidates and their possibilities of winning, you know, stay tuned, talk, expect your feedback. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Thank you. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Okay, and and myself will be presenting some unique perspectives. Those you couldn't find anywhere else, man. I mean, primarily about the continents in Africa, primarily actually about Nigeria and stuff like that. But yeah, I can't stress it enough. It's not. It's not a perspective you could find anywhere else. It's not something that's covered by any sources out there, any outlets out there, any kind of publication out there. You know, you should stay tuned. You should listen to the end. Um, it's definitely innovative. It's definitely, I'd say, revigorating. If I use my own words, um, you know, I look forward to you guys. Um, uh, without any further ado, man, let's get into the nitty gritty. Thanks. I 
do go um, fairly regularly. Uh, last year I was there four times, this year I've gone once and I have another trip uh, coming up in about a month, a month and a half. Okay. So what was that trip going to be for though? When did I go? No, what uh, the next trip you have. So what, what will be the purpose? Is it like a personal trip? Or? Well, no, actually two different groups are inviting me to come give a talk. Uh, there and um, uh, I require that they pay my flight ticket and accommodation uh, during my uh, talk. So they're trying to put the money together to bring me, and uh, so that's it. Okay. So, oh yeah, well, so that makes sense. Like a talk, all those university talks or just like a talk, talk, talk. Yes, you know, I talk around books, you know, um, as you know, my passion is actually writing and reading so um so there is a little book festival and um but i should have been in nigeria um at this time there is a kaduna uh, book festival to which i was invited but um, i declined to go hmm. well that's that's interesting well well i don't know why you declined maybe it, it, I have a conflict. Yeah, yeah, you're angry at them. They didn't make good people pursue us. I had a conflict. Had a conflict. Well, I mean, that's interesting. Though. I mean, it's good to see that they have like all those literary festivals in Nigeria. Um, it's it to me is interesting. It's incredible. Um, I know it sounds kind of a little bit patronizing, <laughs> but well, you know, I, I mean, we we speak a lot about uh, certain Philistinic culture in Nigeria. Um, an overly materialistic culture, uh, but it's, I think, heartening to, for me as a writer, to see that there is a great deal of hunger for uh, intellectual nourishment in Nigeria. Um, so that last July, when I went to the country for three weeks to do a book tour, my books, I did 11 events in six cities, and my books sold out in nine of those events. Yeah. So there is, and of course, some of those who bought the books will never read them. But <laughs> there are young people who are passionate about reading, and uh, so they get back to, to, to you quickly, um, responding to what you've written. And, um, you know, eager to get into a conversation about their uh, insights into your writing, about where they thought you should take your writing, uh, or where they found particularly um, inspiring, uh, and so on. So that kind of conversation uh, is increasingly going on in Nigeria, and there's great productivity, actually, uh, amongst Nigerian writers. Uh, some of them have broken into international print, uh, publishing with major publishers in, in the UK, in the US, and elsewhere, and getting translated all over the world. Uh, but then the Nigerian publishing industry is becoming quite vibrant. You know? So there are four or five major publishers in Nigeria that are doing really exciting work. Yeah. That's, uh, that's like, are they like Nigerian publishers or just publishers that be, that have a, because uh, I don't know. No, these are Nigerian publishers. Um, there are um, uh, the conglomerates, you know. So Heinemann has Heinemann Nigeria, but I actually think that the relationship 
is no longer fair match that Heinemann Nigeria pretty much operates as a separate entity from Heinemann that used to be in the UK. Uh, you have Longman, um, Pearson, and so on and so forth. But you have Nigerian publishers, publishing companies owned by Nigerians uh, or owned by people who live in Nigeria. Um, so they're there is uh, Bookcraft, which publishes me. There is Farafina, also known as Kachifo, uh, which I think publishes Chimamanda Adichie. Um, there is Narrative Landscape, which I think going forward will publish Chimamanda, Chimamanda's new work. Uh, there is Cassava Republic. Uh, there is Parisia uh, Publishing. There is... Uh, I, I can't quite forget, remember uh, one or two other names, but there are a few uh, indigenous publishers in Nigeria that are bringing out original work um, that stand up, can stand up to, to, to writing that has been produced anywhere else in the world. Hmm. That's interesting though. It seems, it seems like for, for whatever reason, there's, well, I see a resurgence of, of, you know, Nigerian um, literature and stuff, or literature in Nigeria. Like, it seemed like at a point in time, a lot of things died. I remember when they used to have, like, a Biola bookshop, mm -hmm. and it used to be one of the most famous companies in, in on the mainland. What, what, is, what was referred to as, I don't know if it's still referred to as the mainland. It is. And they all died, and you had, um, what's the name of this other one in Suleri? They had this one, damn, can't remember. Well, they had this bookshop in Suleri, mm -hmm. where, um, it used to be. Yeah, Daniel Ogosoya. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, just, yeah. Uh, man, I, can't I used remember. to go to that. Place. It used to, it used to be the place for both school supplies, back to school supplies, people that wanted to read. Um, but all those places, like they died, like pretty much. Well, there are public uh, booksellers that are coming up um, all over the country. Uh, not not enough, uh, but in Lagos, for example, you have. Um, uh, uh, was a Pataba bookstore, uh, bookstore, which is a big bookstore in Sruleri. Um, you have Jazz Hole. Hmm. You know, you have Quintessence. Um, uh, you have Bookworm. You know, so these are major bookstores uh, that that are doing great business in Lagos, and and of course at the airport you find um, you know one or two bookstores uh, in uh, at the airports in Lagos. Um, in Ibadan, uh, there is a big bookstore in Ibadan, and there is one at the University of Ibadan. And of course, every university has a, uh, a big bookstore as well. Um, I'm not trying to paint a rosy picture, uh, but I'm just saying that things are not as bleak as they were in the post-Bangida years when the economy crashed and people were really were more focused on where to find the next meal, much more so than where to find a good book to read. Uh -huh. I think that now young people who are uh, quite curious about international culture uh, find out that the best, most informed people anywhere in the world are people who are keeping up with reading uh, the good books that have been produced. And so in Nigeria, you find a sector of uh, young people who are really uh, intrigued by uh, publishing and uh, 
both writing and also reading uh, great works. So the Nigerian literary scene is becoming uh, perhaps more vibrant than at any time in our history. Uh, but it's also uh, not surprising because the cultural department in Nigeria as a whole is actually uh, resurgent. If you look at Nigerian music, Nollywood, Nigerian films, um, uh, a Nigerian drama, uh, you see that there is kind of awakening with nigerian uh, drama like like plays and stuff I yeah really, plays yeah are they, are they, are they, are they backing oh, yeah, there, there is um in the over the last uh four years or so there is uh, a musical called kakadu uh that was uh, produced uh written uh directed and produced by a nigerian lawyer uche Mokedi, that has torn um you know, um, gone around the world. Uh, well, not quite gone around the world because I think that they should actually uh, come to the U.S. I don't think they've come to the U.S., but they've gone to all over Nigeria, and that uh, I know that they've gone to South Africa. And um, um, I don't know if they've been to Britain. So, but the, the musical is amazing. You know, it's a musical that sort of. What do you call uh, the name again? Kakadu. Kakadu. K A K A D U. They come. They come to America. I mean. Kakadu, the musical. Yeah. They should come to America. I don't think. I, I don't think they've come. And it's a, it's a musical with great music, great acting, um, great drama, and a, a wonderful set uh, that encapsulates, captures uh, the drama. Nigerian history. Kakadu used to be a major nightclub in in Lagos before the war, where it was a kind of melting pot, where all the elite from every part of Nigeria retired in the evening to listen to great music, to hold conversations, and just to meet on a social level. And so it tells the story of Nigeria's tragedy through the fortune or if you like the misfortunes of this uh, 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 nightclub which um, as the Biafran war started you know of course the Igbo retired to run off to uh, to the southeast to their homeland and by the end of the war they, they uh, the nightclub had basically become a shadow of his old self and so this lawyer tells the story of Nigeria. It's a very gripping musical narrative of Nigeria's tragic history. Tells that story through the fortunes or misfortunes of Kakadu, the nightclub. So it's Kakadu, the musical. Then there is um, a, a very uh, amazingly talented Nigerian woman who sort of worked uh, a little bit in Hollywood. Uh, and then returned to Nigeria and has done so many different things. Returned to Nigeria. Uh, she's uh, Ifoma Fafunwa, uh, but her maiden name is Ifoma Obiawu. Okay. Um, uh, originally, from on, at least her father was from Onitsha. I think her mother is an American woman. Um, <laughs> but she grew up in Nigeria. And she's done so many wonderful things. She's, as I said, she's done a few... A few um, sort of 
bit roles in in Hollywood, but then she went into uh, designing. She's an architect. She's um, uh, an artist extraordinary, extraordinary, and so she went to Nigeria and um, came up with a play called. Um, I think it's called. Uh, Hear what, hear what, Niger woman talk true, mm. you know. So hear what, colon, Niger yeah. woman talk true, where she again gives us <laughs> a panoply of the experiences of women in Nigeria at every level uh, of Nigerian womanhood, and um, part of what makes her exciting as a as a as, as, as a dramatic. Um, uh, director uh, is that she uses first of all she takes her theater the part of the first places she performed was in the marketplace so she took some of the greatest theatrical ta uh, uh, um, talent you find in Nigeria uh, who are in her play and she took them it's an all female cast she took them to marketplaces to perform and the response was amazing. The women in the marketplaces recognize this drama as one that tells their stories. And again, she's traveled with it. She's been at Harvard. I think that early next year, early in 2019, she's coming to New York, actually. Yeah, yeah so that should be an amazing, amazing. We should talk about it some more, you know, closer sure. to the date. I think it's early in January. Yeah. She's going to be in this country again. She's done... Uh, as I said, she's done in Harvard, she's done in Connecticut, she's gone to uh, Denmark uh, with a play, and um, everywhere. I mean, I've seen it twice, and I'll see it again. You saw it, you saw it, you saw it in Connecticut? I saw it uh, uh, once at Harvard University, and then I saw it in, uh, in Connecticut. Okay. You know, so I mean, it's really amazing. So there are Nigerian playwrights, Nigerian drama, um, that's really uh, doing extraordinary work. You know? Interesting. I love. To, I, I would love to. That's that's a production I love to see. I mean, I'm intrigued. Well, I'm I'll, intrigued I'll right let now. you know when. Um, I'll get you the date of when they will be in New York. I think it's early, and I'm going to see them in New York. That's how. I think when she comes that's to how the, enthralling. Uh, that, that, I, find, that, I find that drama. That would be interesting. Oh, where, where would it be in Broadway? Um, I think they're going to be off Broadway. Let, let me not. Let, I um, how about I get you? Uh, I'm going to try and get you the the venue because I I don't want to mislead you yeah. or, or those who are listening. All right, that sounds good, man. Maybe we'll get we'll get her on here to talk with her. Yeah. She will definitely be in New York. All right, that'll, that'll be next year, right? Early next year. Yeah, we should get we should get on here and you know have a conversation with her. That would be in the, in the heat, maybe in the heat of the elections in Nigeria. Yes. What was that 2019 February? I think be the elections. Yes. Yes. I'll be that'll be um that'll be pretty interesting. Pretty um. Who, so who do you have your money on right now? Uh, on the elections in Nigeria. Yeah. I'm not in the business of having my money on, well, that's any, true, on yeah. any candidate. That's kind of like yeah. Uh, I'm not in the I um. You know, I speak generally about, first of all, I think that what I said about Jonathan in 2000, 
I'm 15 is true of Buhari today. <laughs> Jonathan failed. And I want Nigerians not to reward failure with re-election. Uh, I also, by the way, want them not to vote for Buhari because I saw Buhari as, uh, as, the, as a promise of failure. So I'm not surprised at all. Buhari has not disappointed me at all because my expectations were not high. Uh, but Buhari has failed. And so it would be a mistake to uh, re-elect him. Uh, because we know what we're going to get for the next four years. It will be disaster, you know. Um, so I'm impressed that there are a lot of young people who are lining up uh, to run. Um, but I don't look at age because the tragedy of Nigeria, the problems that we have in Nigeria have been caused by not only old men and women, they've been caused even by younger people. So I'm not necessarily excited because they are young. I will be excited when they begin to speak. And I think that some of them are beginning to articulate answers to the perennial crisis that we have in our country. So it is the program, the vision that they bring, that's what will impress me. So. When you say, who is my money on? What I'll say to Nigerians who listen to me is have your eye on the prize. And the prize should be, who is it who best articulates the problems of the country and who has the solutions that are realistic and transformative in character? So that's where my money would be on that candidate, whoever that happens Have you to be. seen... Any, a few, so? Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, you know, there are lots of, um, you know, new parties on the block, as it were, and some of them, uh, some of their um, luminaries are beginning to speak about Nigeria's problems in, in the way that any serious politician ought to, right? Um, so they're beginning to articulate the nature of the problem and also to prescribe, to suggest the ways that they think they're going to uh, uh, address those problems. So Nigeria's problems are so deeply uh, you know, uh, embedded because we've spent years and years and years in pursuit of mediocrity and failure. You know? So this is an opportunity, hopefully, for people to open themselves up to the possibility of adventure in pursuit of a better life, but hmm. but in the past we've seen we, we we've seemed content to resign ourselves to the same programs that had failed that are guaranteed to fail. So the problem, the solution, is as much on the politicians as it as it is on our people. Are uh, people going to be open? to doing things a different way? Are we going to be open to um, renouncing our, our notorious cynicism? Because Nigerians say, oh, everybody who is going into politics is going for self-enrichment. Guess what? That's not true. It's not a self-evidently true statement. But what happens is that once we believe that, then we relate to politicians as if that were true, and therefore we end up voting 
for the person who has given us the most money because we say hey everybody will steal money at any rate and the, the tragedy is that the good candidates who are mm. not going in to steal our money don't have money to give us so we must be open to if we must take the money from those who have stolen our resources and who will bribe us let's take it but vote for the right person i mean that, 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 that makes sense that's just like it's, it's, it's theoretical which is um, well not maybe not purely theoretical which is which is nice um it's an ideal maybe 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 i seem more idealistic of what should happen it shouldn't be idealistic uh, no, no doubt no because what i'm saying is why i say it shouldn't be idealistic is right. that we have a country my brother where governors are praised if they pay uh salaries every few months okay and we know that there is no country that goes anywhere on such disastrous expectations. It's not even low expectations. It is disastrous, right? So we have gone through that kind of pathology, that kind of sick, deadening sense of public affairs mm. all our life as a nation for close to 60 years. So. When you say to Nigerians, the same politics that has failed, where people say to you, when you say to them, what's your program? They'll say, I want to move the nation forward without defining what moving the nation forward means. When they say, I want to deliver the dividends of democracy, which has become the cliche of the age. Okay? But they don't understand what dividends mean and what democracy entails when you find men and women whose minds are empty except to the degree that their minds is filled with a passion for greed and we entrust our affairs in their hands and we see that again and again they pauperize our lives they impoverish us they reduce us to destitution so it should not anymore be idealism to say to people, vote for a change for the person who has ideas. So it shouldn't be a matter really of conversation. The mm -hmm. fact that Buhari is regarded today as a serious candidate, or some of the governors who've been governors in Nigeria who failed as governors, that they are seen as a serious presidential candidates today say something to me about the peculiar maddening foolishness of the Nigerian voter. But I don't want to call them foolish because part of it is ignorance. Okay? And so you can't blame a man or a woman if they act out of profound ignorance. But I will blame the elite the people like us did not undertake the urgent and the emergency task of educating our people that we can't afford to waste another four years because our country is really to the edge. So when a politician says to me, I want to move the nation forward, I say, stop there. Perhaps we don't want to move forward because we're at the edge of a precipice. Perhaps we want to move backward and plan a different route. So it is not idealism. But in Nigeria, they think if you say, consider a Kinsley Morialo 
for example, yeah, who is a lot more educated than anybody who is you know uh, currently running a state or whatever in Nigeria. When you say to them, do that, they say, ah, but it doesn't have the structure. I say, make yourself part of the structure. And I'm not saying necessarily that I support Quincy Morgan. There are lots of people who are in the race now who are beginning to articulate a conversation in a way that shows an understanding of the way that the world operates. We must listen to those ones. We must reject the Buharis and the passengers of our world because those people have nothing to offer us. Mm. Nothing. Well, you know, why I say it's it's almost like we've been down this road so many times. Like, we're like, okay, this is the same thing. This is when Obasanjo came in. We had so much expectations back in 98, right? 99, rather. Mm -hmm. It was a different election in 98, 99. And then he came in 29th of May, infamous, famous, if you you feel you're financially benefited, if you're the 160 million Nigerians who who haven't necessarily benefited from that, it's more of the infamous May 29th, (laughs) 1999. Mm -hmm. Um, And it always seems like the movie ends the same way all the time. Doesn't matter the actors. It doesn't matter the six circumstances. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much people felt feel like they felt the last time that it was a change election. The movie ends up the same way, and well, it's almost predictable well, sometimes. Well, it, it was predictable for me. I know it's, and, it's, and, it sounds and, depressing. Okay, but. I predicted that Buhari would fail. Right? It was predictable to me because Buhari was campaigning without bringing out a single salient idea about solving the problems of Nigeria. But we fell for this whole hollow rhetoric of change. So somebody says, change, 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 and we say yes. I was on television in London uh, before the elections. And I said, I, to, I said to my audience, I said to raise a broom is not a substitute for a program. What did the APC represent? I told Nigerians that the APC and the PDP were Siamese twins. I said, reject both parties. And that's what people, what people said to me then was, you're not being realistic. It has to be either of these two parties. I said, well, for me, it's like somebody has abused you for years. And then you say, hey, I want to get off this relationship of abuse. The person changes his name. The person who was abusing you was Paul. He changes his name to Peter. And you say, okay, you know, he's now Peter, so I'm going to stay in this relationship. <laughs> the PDP yeah. and the APC were always the same. So when people are getting excited that Bukalos Araki has gone back to the PDP and they're all excited, and some people are saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be the PDP. I said, that's what we had for 16 years. It was a narrative of failure, okay? So if you go down that road, it's going to end up, four years later, you start abusing them, and some of them would then leave the PDP and go to another party. And you say, yeah, another party. <laughs> you know, so uh, we must we must catch up to the tricks. It's like almost as if, you know, some Nigerians talk about spiritual forces, spiritual darkness, right? Yep. Um, it's almost as if these people, I don't believe in that kind of a, a, a superstition. But really, the way we behave politically is almost as if we are susceptible 
to a profound uh, charm. You know, we are charmed up by, 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 by the people who, who, who wreck our lives, right? Now, having said so, having, having um, talked about um, the characters, I, I agree with you, right? That if we vote uh, some of the uh, men who are running around as candidates, okay? Yeah. They have a track record, and that track record is one of mediocrity. So it's going to be the same story of failure. But ultimately, we can make a significant change in our lives in the way our country is governed if we voted for a party of men and women who have uh, who are enlightened, who are visionary, and who have a track record in other areas of, 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 of endeavor. That's one. But ultimately, we need a restructuring of our country. And that restructuring actually will go hand in hand with a moral, ethical restructuring. Okay? Uh, we have to determine what it means to be a Nigerian citizen. Okay? On any given day, in any given location, that what Nigerians go through will be the cause of scandal in most countries in the world. Okay? True. A Nigerian who have a Nigerian of privilege who hit a poor man's car and his security people will bundle the poor man who is the victim of this accident, throw him in the trunk of their car, go lock him up, and nothing would happen. And people will be begging the big man to please forgive the man who is his victim to start with. So we must make it difficult for people to succumb to such temptations, to abuse their powers. Okay, We must make it impossible for citizens to just go because they happen to know the commissioner of police or the IG of police to go and get forced, you know, secreted contingent of policemen traveling with them and terrorizing fellow citizens. So we don't even have a country where we understand what it means to be a citizen. There are certain things that can't happen to, to you in America. Of course, the police in America could beat you up, right? Yeah. But guess what? If you survived it, there are lawyers who can get you millions of dollars for that infringement. Mm, true. You know, I mean, occasionally you could have a corrupt judge or a corrupt, uh, maybe ethnocentric jury that will not give you the money you deserve, okay? Mm. But the thing is that many people, there are so many, um, uh, uh, you know, that you have a, a recourse in America. At least you have a semblance of a recourse when your rights have been violated. In Nigeria, your rights can be violated at will. And, you know, people say to you, uh, go to a pastor, let him pray for you, or go to some imam, or go and beg the people who have violated your rights. We must change that entire narrative. Because we don't have a country as we speak. But changing the narrative, is it... I mean, the way you're talking, it sounds like you're talking like, oh, it's a top-down approach. Change, you get the right president who remains like him, him, his or herself, and then the narrative changes. Yeah. 
there'll be some change but don't you i feel like it's more like a societal thing i agree with you and that's actually part of the point that i'm making i said there will be a significant change in the way that our country is run okay if we have more enlightened and more visionary people running the country i didn't say that problems will then disappear. So then we need to restructure our country. So that restructuring, I said, has to be an ethical and a moral one. That goes also, a component of it is the enlightenment, the education of Nigerians. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So a lot of Nigerians, for example, believe that if you are a governor of a state, that it is God that has put you there, not their votes. True. And therefore, that if you steal the resources of the state, it is, God, it is God's preferment for you. God has given you that permission to steal. Now, the same person who is making that allowance for a governor will be the first, will be the first to grab a tire and grab some fuel, gasoline, and douse a young man who was so hungry that the young man stole a hundred naira to eat. So this person fundamentally is opposed to theft. They hate stealing. But somehow they've been, their minds have been misengineered mm. to believe that uh, God is in the business of permitting some people to steal big. So what we need to do is to really educate every Nigerian because when a Nigerian, if a Nigerian in the village understands that the money the governor has stolen belongs also to him in a very fundamental and direct way, mm -hmm. then he'll be more angry. Because if you went to any hometown in any part of Nigeria and the people contribute money through levies, through um, communal donations, and one of their own steals that money. He will be ostracized. Uh, he, if he bought a car with the money, when he drove past, they'll say, look at this thief. Okay? I'm robber. Nobody will go to his village, to his home, because everybody feels he stole my money. But somehow, if the, pers the same person becomes a governor and doesn't pay their salaries, but builds a huge mansion and buys 20 cars, they say God has blessed him. They no longer, they can't make the connection that the money he has stolen belongs to them. So what we need to do, I agree with you, is both a top down, we need enlightened people to start us off. And we have them in quantum supply. But we also need a revolution from ground, ground up. up. I so, think I think so real revolutions people, always so work. people are not as permitting of the kind of um, of of sickness that every day we rationalize and we we accept. Yeah, I think people. I think revolutions work better from the ground up. I don't think you have a real revolution from the top down. Top down is ridiculous. But uh, but it cannot be from the ground up unless it is led by enlightened people. You see, in, in a lot of ways, when um, a, a, a petty thief is 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 caught and set ablaze you find the kind of revolution that arises out of ignorance 
okay? Because the people just feel uh, this person has stolen, we've got to kill him. But they don't pause to say, hey, has this person really stolen? Because we have some tragic situations uh, which have happened in Nigeria where, where somebody will steal and is caught by a victim and he will, the, the, the robber will turn around and start shouting, thief, thief, bullet, <laughs> at the, the victim. Yeah. And the, the mob will not think about it. The mob will just set upon you and kill you. And meanwhile, as you are killing the person, the real robber escapes from the scene. So, so we need a revolution from the ground up and we'll get it. But it comes out of enlightenment, out of knowledge. When people are misinformed profoundly, when people are profoundly ignorant, um, they reproduce ignorance all the way through. So in a lot of ways, what we find today is a revolution from the ground up. The civil servant who is owed 12-month salary praises the governor when the governor pays him three months out of the 12 months. Ah, he's trying. Meanwhile, the governor is flying first class with his family to America and and France and so on every day, and you tell him, he says, ah, it has it's God that has put him there. Okay, yeah. so it's a revolution from from the from the ground up, but it's a revolution of ignorance. So what we need is to educate, and that's why I'm saying that all of us who are, who hopefully are enlightened have a major work. We must become part of that enlightenment the spread of enlightenment, okay? But we can only do this if within our own lives we live out the values that we voice, right? So um, if your villagers know you are corrupt and you suddenly go to them and say, oh, you know, we're going to oppose corruption, they say, hey, this man was a civil servant. He owns 10 cars. How did he make the 10 cars? So now maybe he's not eating within this group so he's uh he's, he's he's opposed to the group because he's not benefiting so we need to have and i think that there are lots and lots of elements within nigeria people who especially the young i have a lot of um i have a lot of confidence in our young people you do uh, yes uh-huh. yes that's good you, you know i mean a lot of them are too focused on their checking their twitter um, uh, um, the jobless youth, uh, like the, Barry the said, Twitter quotient <laughs> and so on and so forth. Um, checking how many likes their posts get and so on, you know. But there are really highly um, learned young people who dream big for themselves and doing big for their communities. If you look at some of the great things that have been done in Nigeria, it's young people who are doing it in the private sector the private sector you know so i have i have a lot of confidence in our in our young people hmm. well i mean you know i guess I, I say it's still it's still it's like a roadmap from what for what should happen mm-hmm. next i'd say what should happen next i'll, I'll qualify with next yeah. in nigeria um but at the same time man it's like it's like a wish list. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's just just looking at the level of I mean, I I I belong to a bunch of Nigerian chat groups, Nigerian mm-hmm. 
I, I, I go to Nigerian functions, even though I don't go as often as you do. Um, you know, I have relatives, cousins. Yeah, the, and even the ones that are here, you get to interact with them. And the level of um, intellectual exchange, mm-hmm. let me not sound snobbish or jargonistic, yeah. <laughs> but the level of intellectual exchange is just, um, it's always like very backwards. It's always like the same. It's like when people are in places like America, mm-hmm. for the most part, mm-hmm. when people are in places like UK or Europe, or whichever country it might be, for the most part, they are um, humble to the point that they um, accept the norms of the country. They respect a lot of the culture, a lot of the things there. It's kind of like the common joke that people have, like, well, you know, you're on a British Airways flight to London. And all the Nigerians are all jumping up and throwing stuff out of the window. But the moment they land in London, everybody's like, yeah, can I? No, don't throw that away. Bring, let me put it and throw it not properly, you know. Mm-hmm. The same way you, like, come from London to Nigeria and then everybody's, like, all in line and, and acting orderly and stuff. And then the moment they get to Nigeria, they're, like, all trying to jump ahead of each other mm-hmm. and say, yeah, no, I got to be first, man. My, 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 my uncle is the minister for whatever, whatever, whatever. Yes. Right, what does this have to do with the line right now? You know, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, you know, so it, 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 I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm, I'm like thinking, of, is it a mental thing? I don't think it's inherent. I don't think it's a DNA no, thing. No, no. Okay. So it's, it's, um, the reason I, I was laughing, I'll tell you a quick story. All right. Um, I was once um, on a flight uh, from Europe into Nigeria, and I sat, um, I met a friend, and we happened to sit together on this flight. And um, as soon as the flight was uh, landed in Lagos, the plane touched down, and a few Nigerians sprang up and started opening the overhead compartment, and they, um, they, Flight attendant announced that people should sit down until the plane has come to a complete stop, instead of which more Nigerians stood up. <laughs> and so I was so ashamed. And right in front of us was one of the flight attendants. So I said to her, really, I'm really sorry. I'm ashamed at the conduct of this. And she said to me, this is a white woman. I said, oh, no, we understand. In fact, that on a previous flight, that the chief... Um, steward or whatever announced to nigerians oh don't wait until the flight comes just stand up as soon as the flight touches down he said nobody stood up it's, it's, it's as if they wouldn't take instructions so if you said to them stand up then they sit down if you say sit down they stand up you know so but i i think that ultimately this goes to the heart of what i call the moral and ethical revolution that we need things used to be different in our country. You read the literature, okay? You read novels written by Walesha Inka and Chino Achebe and the first generation, you know, what we might call, call the independence uh, generation of Nigerian writers. And you see that there was a time when corruption was really uh, seen as deplorable, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, you sure. see that there was a time when people were a little more modest, uh, where discretion was valued. But what has happened 
lately is that over the years of military rule, when values were no longer organic, but imposed artificially by military regimes, and these were military regimes that, especially in the case of Babangida, was extremely beholden to corruption, you see that a lot of reprobate element in Nigeria were empowered with sudden wealth. These were men and women with very little education who now won oil blocks, and they had nothing else going for them. Um, if they walked into a room, they were forgettable characters. They had nothing to them. They had no inner metal. Okay? And so what they started doing was to make spectacles of themselves in the way they dressed, in the kind of gold chains they would put on their necks, uh, thinking that this would improve them. And then in um, announcing that um, in you know showing off their girlfriends and that sort of thing, and uh, one man building uh, a 20-room mansion when he has only one <laughs> wife and two or three children. You know, so it is for sure. Let me... Sh- uh, let me exhibit myself so that the members of my community will know that I'm now big. Okay? So, what you then found was this rise in Nigeria of that, do you know who I am? Mm-hmm. So, people could no longer be comfortable in their skins. Because in, in any society that's, that's stable, that works, Right? People are ashamed when they are doing something wrong. And so if they are caught doing something wrong, they actually hide their faces. They don't want to be seen. But a Nigerian will say to a police officer who's caught him doing something wrong, do you know who I am? If I make one call, you you lose your job. And guess what? He makes the call to somebody high up. And instead of the person saying, shh, you got to shut up about you've done something really bad. They say, hey, give me the name of that police uh, officer. Uh, You know, in fact, we're going to lock him up. So suddenly, police officers learn that those who do something wrong are their friends. Okay? Because those who do something wrong in an open way are usually those who are connected. So they are untouchable. You, You know, there's nothing you can do to them. So you better actually help them to start doing something wrong. So... The same way that through, over the years, we came to an accretion, through an accretive process, you know, gradual increment, we came to this nether of pollution of our mores, of our social uh, values. We can begin, it's going to take a long time, but we can begin to correct those things. And... That's why I say to young people, especially, and also to basically anybody, that one of the ways that we can attack corruption is by withholding approval from the corrupt. People steal money, or a lot of people who steal money do so because they want to come to a party and spray a million naira and be the talk of the town. But if they come and they're spraying the money and people turn around and say, ah, look at that thief trying to show something, 
and he sees that people are looking down on him. People are saying to him, even, even if not in words, you stole that money. That money doesn't belong to you. Guess what? The next day, this man will say, hey, what does it profit a man to steal public funds only to be mocked by his community? It is precisely because we give them traditional titles. It is precisely because we bring them to the front of churches and mosques. It is precisely because we give them national honors that in Nigeria, people now think that it's heroic to steal. So in my personal life, when I travel at airports or social events and I meet a lot of our big men, governors and former ministers and current ministers and former heads of states, they carry themselves with a certain, you know, expecting you to say, ah, Your Excellency. I see them and I walk past. Mm. It's a way of saying, if more Nigerians will do that, if more Nigerians will see an Obasanjo or uh, an Ibori, and instead of you know hailing him, you walk past, you say to him, you are invisible to us. We know what you represent, and we are not proud of what you represent. Guess what? More people will begin to take notice when they are positioned. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But unless we, it's important to underscore that things did not start this way in Nigeria. Nigeria was always, uh, you know, had a problem with corruption. But so does America. Do you understand? The difference in America is that when you are caught, people did not hail you. When you are caught, uh, your family was not proud of you. When you are caught, or even if it is known that you've stolen money, the church will not ask a poor man to get up from the front seat so that you come from the back, having come in late, to come and occupy the front seat, as happens in our, in our society. And so I think that we can begin to roll back some of those pathological practices that we have embraced. Uh, in Igbo, we say that alo. In other words, something that is evil, if you allow it to fester and it, it celebrates its first birthday, it becomes part of the culture or part of the custom. And so people think this is the normal way to do business. It isn't. I'll tell you one more thing. When I was young, mm -hmm. growing up, everybody knew who was a ne'er-do-well. Everybody knew who was, you know, spending a lot of money but didn't have a visible means of livelihood. And if you were caught in the company of one of those people, somebody told your parents that they saw you with this guy who had a, a car and you were in his car or you were drinking with him, your parents will so flog you that you wish for death. <laughs> but because of the terrible progression of our cultural values in a, in a negative direction. Today, parents who say to their children, why don't you befriend this person and let him help you, show you the way, even though the parents know that this person gets his money perhaps from uh, drug dealing or some other evil ways. It's all about the money now. It's all about the money, you know. But still, there are holdouts. There are holdouts. And so we can start building from those holdouts. We can start with our young people. And that's why I think that 
moral education is at the core of what we must do. It's at the core of what we must do. And that's why I'm really ashamed that our religious authorities are not rising to that responsibility and our school system doesn't rise uh, to, to that responsibility. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's, you're talking of what should be and what is. What should be is, oh, you know, a system where there's a conscience in society. There's some kind of standard. That's what should be. What is is just a place where you're not, if you're, if you're not, I mean, literally, who was saying it the other day, like somebody said, yeah, nobody, not one politician, nobody in Nigeria can survive on their salary. Um, I watched another interview where somebody put some, some former governor of Delta State and, and he asked the guy, you know, what was your biggest achievement in office? He said, yeah, his biggest achievement is that um, pregnant women could deliver. <laughs> okay, like, like the way he phrased it, it just sounded like, uh, yeah, yeah, um, I'm sure your mother delivered you, man. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. you know, even though you might, I mean, he could have, maybe he wanted to phrase it like, well, he increased the child, the child, the decreased the, um, yeah. the, the child uh, infant mortality yeah. rate. Like, you know, but if, if that was your biggest achievement for a state that was like top five in terms of revenue mm -hmm. for eight years, that's the only, that's your that's the that's the achievement you have. Like, well, that's what I'm most proud of. Mm -hmm. But is it still there today? No, it's not even there. I'm like, wow, everybody, it, it, you know, it just shows like what is and what you know what you might want it to be, and. That guy is, probably, is definitely considered one of the good politicians in, in the state. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that was Delta State, I think. Mm -hmm. um, he's considered one of the good politicians there in, in the country. Um, it, the, the thought is just like, it, it, at this point in time, it, it seems like it's just people watching, like, whether you're white, black, Nigerian, other countries, people that might be rooting for Nigeria in any regard i watched that just like exasperated like yeah it's not gonna happen like you know there are, and there are a lot of people that root for in nigerian success because when you think about it it'll be great to have a country on the continent of africa that is majority um black that has um great economic success and a great structure and all that you know it's like given what's going on in other countries that have like black governments that people are like in africa when you look at the south africans and the south africa went into recession this this quarter after all the noise about uh, distributing farms you know as a different company there are people that feel strongly should be redistributed and there are people that are pragmatic and are like no nah, you know we get where you're coming from but that's not the best one there are people who don't care whatsoever um I, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of that but that, that's a different conversation but you know it's interesting like, you know you have a lot of people who root for nigeria and they know nigeria um not just the ones that I've seen a few sides, either the bad or the good. And then every time it comes around, they're like, okay, some of them want to hold their breaths mm -hmm. and hope that the right thing happens. Mm -hmm. But it seems like it keeps going down the wrong path, wrong path. So when people come up and like, well, this is what needs to happen. Oh yeah, we need to just, when we see these guys, we ignore them. And then they'll, you know, it's all nice and dandy, but it doesn't seem like something that high. It seems like there's, there's, there's no short supply of hungry and desperate people in Nigeria. And they will not ignore a politician that has stolen money, you know. Um, and most of them are more than happy to give their lives to perpetuating the system that currently exists. 
Uh, they will do anything to make sure that system exists because they believe that one day, as they say, them two, they go hammer. They will, they will get into that position or their relative, their wife or their brother will get there and then them two, they go hammer. Uh, there's no need to destroy that position now. So that that's like, to me, in my opinion, I would say that's a, that's a, that's a normal mindset in Nigeria now. But when did it become normal? So that's that's that's, that's, that's probably in the seventies, I guess. No, 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 no. It didn't become normal in the seventies. Um, I agree with you about the self-defeating, self-crushing fantasies of Nigerians. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of this, in the end, comes down to one. Enlightenment, education. It is out of profound ignorance that people say, "Let the man who is there steal as much as he uh, as much as he can, because tomorrow I could be the one, I could be my man." Well, in in a world um, where people live to a million years. See, uh, yeah, everybody will hammer eventually, you know. Um, if, if you live in perpetuity, then, <laughs> then there will come a time when inevitably it will come to the, you. The numbers can't favor everybody. Side. Well, you know, if we live forever in eternity, you know. But, you know, so the thing is, if I believe that there's nothing that can be done about Nigeria, and I'll say, bulldoze that country into extinction. But I believe that I, I, I never have illusions about the depth of crisis, moral crisis in Nigeria, cultural crisis. I know that it's going to take a lot of work in the end. But guess what? I don't think that there has been any systematic engagement with the task of opening the eyes of Nigerians to their own deadening habits, okay? Um, I'll give you, uh, uh, I, and I'm, I've used this before. So I'm in, in London, uh, being interviewed on Ben Television. Jonathan was a president, and I said, Jonathan had failed. And it was a calling program and somebody called and said, oh, you can't, you're not being objective. You know, Jonathan is doing well. I said, um, what has he done? The person said, he's building roads. So I said to him, you are in London. I said, how many times have you heard the mayor of London or the British prime minister say that part of his achievement is to build roads? This young man then said to me, I presume him to be a young man. He said, um, you can't compare Nigeria and Britain. True. But I said to him, well, it shouldn't be true. It shouldn't be true. Because the Nigerian, every Nigerian governor, okay, forget governors. Forget the Nigerian president. Forget Nigerian governors. Every Nigerian local government chairman makes more money than the British prime minister. Okay. Yeah, every Nigerian senator, every Nigerian member of the house gets more money than the British prime minister. 
and we have not said stop the scandal. But once you say, oh, let a Nigerian president perform at a level close to the British Prime Minister, Nigerians jump in and say, no, that's unfair. You can't compare us to Britain. You can't compare us to America. But the Nigerian president can give pocket money to the American president. Nigerian governors, many of them can give pocket money to President Trump, given what they make in a month. A lot of governors from security board and so on get more money than the U.S. president gets in a year. And for a lot of Nigerians, that's fine. But you say, let this governor do something better than pay salaries or mm-hmm. better than say he's building what turn out to be mediocre roads. They'll say, oh, your problem is you are in America. You're comparing Nigeria to America. And I say, if we can't do that, why don't we then say that our presidents, our governors, our legislators should be paid at the level of legislators and presidents in Mali and in Niger Republic and in Cameroon, okay? Because these countries, believe it or not, actually outstrip us or are competitive against Nigerian leaders, the kind of leaders that we have in Nigeria. But in the end, I think that especially young students will get it because in a lot of ways, it, the debate is about their own future, okay? Uh, a lot of us uh, in the world, we have uh, fixed professional pursuits uh, and so on and so forth. But there are young people in universities, in colleges of technology, in colleges of education, who are still dreaming of a life, of the role that they are going to play in Nigeria. I think that we can take the message to them that that logic that Wanda hammer is an illogic. It's illogical because you have 170 million people. Even if we didn't have one more birth in Nigeria, if you consider that uh, rulership takes four years, minimum would take eight years, right? So if each person is going to have four years in office, hammer, whether you are at the level of a commissioner or minister, it's going, to take, chairman. It's going to take how many thousands of years even for everybody to to hammer, to have the opportunity to hammer. So by which time we are all comfortably molding in our graves. (laughs) Okay? So you say to them, let's give let's give a shot at a different kind of society and make yourself an agent to build that society. And I tell you something, when Obasanjo was pursuing his third term agenda. I became one of a few voices because you know they bought up, you know, a lot of, um, from my understanding, bought up a lot of writers, you know, who are writing in papers, commenting on the internet. I became a a a, 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 a consistent voice of opposition. So one day, somebody called me from Abuja and said to me that he was in a meeting of National Assembly members and that my writing in opposition to Abbas Anjou's third term came up. And people said, oh, okay, the bay is writing, but okay, doesn't understand the amount of money that Abbas Anjou and his cohorts were willing to spend to guarantee him third term. 
So this man was calling me to say, look, people want to do the right thing. They want to stop Obasanjo. They know it is wrong to change a Nigerian constitution just for one man. But I said, how do we make the case to people to resist the gargantuan inducement that this man was willing to offer? Hmm. So I said to him, I said, the message you must pass back to them, to these legislators, is that they are fortunate if they consider what they have already got in terms of perks of office, in terms of salaries, that they are really fortunate. And I said, why not ask them to, for the first time, do something that is larger than, than themselves for no pecuniary benefit to themselves? But I said, if you can't convince them to reject Obasanjo's money, then tell them to take the money and recognize that it's not Obasanjo's money, it's Nigeria's money. Take the money and nevertheless vote against his third-term ambition. So apparently that's what happened in the end. So poverty is crushing in our state. And it's all deliberate. The people who have put Nigeria in the shape it is are happy because they actually go to sleep. They used to hire people to defend them. Now they have made the country so pauperized that their victims defend them. So when I say to a civil servant who is prison a governor, that the governor, the state is owing them 10 months salary and the governor just paid three months. They say, ah, God has blessed, God will bless him. Mm -hmm. And I say, no, you have earned, even if you haven't earned it, you've not been fired. So in a lot of ways you've earned it. You've earned 12 months salary. And it is not a favor when a governor pays your salary. You should demand all of it. You know what they'll say to me is, ah, you're just blowing grammar. How about the former governor who didn't pay at all? So we have been caught in this bind of relativism. So we compare somebody who scored 10% in an exam <laughs> as a governor with somebody who is scoring 12%. And we say, ah, the man who is scoring 12% is a genius, is a good <laughs> governor. And I say, no, all of them are failures. All of them have failed. And you can actually recruit a governor who will score 60 or 70. And those people are there. But when they come, they don't have money to offer you. What they have to offer you is good governance. The promise of good governance. Our people reject them. Because we are cynical. We say, oh, no, they are going to go there and all they will do is steal. But it's not true. We must begin to act against our worst instincts. In countries like Liberia, Ghana, the Philippines, Cote d'Ivoire, incumbent presidents have lost election and it's become routine. In Nigeria, we're still celebrating that one incumbent president was unseated in an election. And people now think it's impossible. They say, ah, Buhari will never allow himself to be a one-time president. I say, who is he? <laughs> He's one man. 
You are saying already that one man is going to defeat the will of 180 million people. Well, you've seen it done before. Yeah, but it's done before because Nigerians accept it. You know, people have tried to rig elections elsewhere, okay? And the working class came out and ground, brought the country to a halt until the man talked his tails between his, his legs and ran. We can do it in Nigeria, but once you call a strike against somebody who has abused the democratic process, the next day, they will call a few labor leaders and whisper, oh, it's southerners who are behind us, or it's northerners, or people from the northeast, or people from the southwest, or it's uh, Igbo people, or Yoruba people, and we wither, and we surrender. So you see, if it is a Yoruba man who has done something wrong as a politician, he will just say, ah, it's Igbos who are after me. And the next day you see striking workers who are Yoruba go back to work in ethnic solidarity. Ditto, the Igbo will do the same thing. The household will do the same thing. So the politicians know how to divide and to conquer the people who are their victims. It is for the people to strike alliances across ethnic and religious lines and begin to come up with countervailing strategies to resist this wreckage that we call leadership in Nigeria. Well, I mean, it's interesting. It's interesting. So when the people don't come up with it, what happens? I mean, which they haven't necessarily come up with it ever. So um, it will still be the same circular thing over and over, keeps on going. Um, I mean, something we could science it. I mean, something we could find would be interesting to talk about the impact. Mm-hmm. It would be like the refuge mm-hmm. that Nigerians find in, in religious houses and spiritual yes. um, place people mm-hmm. and places. Um, that that's that's an interesting um, interesting to me. It's always interesting. When I think about it. That's mm-hmm. my. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm religious, but. I, I, I'm not that kind of religious. But mm-hmm. <laughs> so to me, it's always interesting. Like you have that, oh, it's God's will. Mm-hmm. Everything is God's will, you mm-hmm. know. Um, one things you could do to make better, make mm-hmm. yourself better, make your, your family or your community mm-hmm. or, you know, you don't you, you don't want to do it because you believe it's happened and it's mm-hmm. happened and like a prevalent thing. And then once you see people who are trying to buck the trend, they sometimes are labeled as the devil. Yes. And you know, it's like it's it's like a norm. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's very interesting. Like it, all these things. Like I, I mean, I love to you know, part artworks. All these things to me, like tying to themselves. Like you have a a country of zombies. Like mm-hmm. fellow say, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, no offense to anybody, but mm-hmm. yeah, you won't take offense. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is what it is. A country of people who just um, uh, they've been tunnel visioned. Mm. They've been brainwashed or tunnel visioned or they've been fed a a narrative mm-hmm. that they should strive for, they're supposed to strive for, that is fruitless. Mm-hmm. And they keep on going at that narrative. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, it's even worse than people that go to play the lottery. At least the lottery, you know, you standing on the floor. Somebody, somebody wins. Yeah, somebody wins. Mm-hmm. If somebody doesn't win in, a, in an hour or two, people will lose interest. Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like you have a whole community of people and standing around and then nobody's even in politics. Yeah. And then every once in a while you have either somebody that comes around that is or one of your cousins or somebody that gets in. And you can see the numbers. It's against you. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And even if it wasn't, it's it's kind of like, well, I mean, that would require more thinking. But if, even if it wasn't, it's kind of better to have politicians that use that money mm-hmm. to develop the society to be able to generate, for the society itself to be able to generate more wealth mm-hmm. that could go around. Um, that's how you create big economies. Mm-hmm. It's not by getting oil from the ground and selling it, which is why right. Saudi Arabia still has problems. Mm-hmm. And even though it's a serious welfare state, they still have serious problems. Um, it's not by getting oil from the ground and selling it. Some people will be rich and most people will not mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, looking at Nigeria, man, I mean, at times, I think, you know, it's good to always talk about it, how I feel religion and religious spirituality has become a disaster mm-hmm. in Nigeria. Um yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Um, the subject of religion uh, in Nigeria is one where uh, you know we have to do a whole podcast about <laughs> this whole religious thing. But you know we can get into it a bit here. Yeah. And um, I think that what's happened is um, is a very is a is a paradox because Nigerians. Um, because you have a fair number of Nigerians who are good at scamming. You think that Nigerians would then be good at uh, sniffing out a scammer, a scam artist. Right. And, um, but it, there's no doubt in my mind that a lot of the men and women who call themselves men and women of God are no more nor less than scam artists. It's just that they uh, use the Bible as their uh, idiom of of of, um, of of the confidence trick, you know. So they are co- confidence tricksters. Um, it, it, it beats me when you see, excuse me, when you see part of what goes on in the name of God. Um, it it's. A lot of these pastors must not, do not believe. I'm actually willing to wager they don't believe in God. Because if you believed in God, you'd be scared to pull off some of the, some of the tricks, mindless tricks that these pastors use. Here is a situation where week after week, people come to church and they hand you 10% of their income as tight. Then... Occasionally, the pastor then asks for sacrificial um, uh, titan, which means bring everything. Do what Abraham did in offering Isaac. Give everything you've got. And God, this, God says that this is the week if you sowed, you know, uh, it's going to be a huge seed and you'll be out of uh, all your financial needs for life. And week after week, people who can ill afford it who are the most desperate in society, the most destitute, give to these high-flying, Rolls-Royce driving, private jet-owning pastors a huge chunk of their, discre- of their income, which is not discretionary. Mm-hmm. This is just necessary income yep. that they need to feed. They don't see a dime come into their account because the truth is that it's nonsensical. If you are a civil servant and you are on level eight and your pastor promises you that you, if you double your seed, God is going to bless you. The only way you are going to get more than level eight, your level eight salary at the end of the month is if you became corrupt 
So somebody will come uh, and ask for a form from your ministry and you say the form is not there unless you bring a certain amount of money. That's the only way. And once you get into that business, guess what? God cannot be part of it. If you are taking illicit money, God cannot be part of that illicitness. Okay? It's the same way that Nigerian politicians rig elections. And in order to pull the wool over the eyes of their superstitious countrymen and women, they say, it's only God that gives power. It is not true. It is people who vote. And it's people who ought to give power. Okay? God does not participate in elections, period. Because if God did, guess what? There are elections that are won by people who are atheists running against Christians or otherwise religious candidates. Even devout ones. And the atheist would win. Sure. If God were giving power, God would not give power to somebody who says God does not exist. Or it would be illogical. But we have a case where so politicians who rig themselves into office say, it's God that gave me power. So what you're saying is that God becomes complicit, becomes involved in rigging. Okay? So we might as well say that if an arm robber breaks into a bank successfully or pulls a gun at a teller and collects money, that God has given that arm robber money. But that's what's pretty much come to Nigeria. That is what has come to Nigeria. I mean, in fact, a friend of mine, I can't quite confirm it, but a friend of mine told me a story that could be apocryphal, but it might as well be true. And that story was that a pastor somewhere in Nigeria will say, say to his con congregants, it doesn't matter how you get your money. If you give God that, yeah, that his 10%, then God has uh, sanctified the money you can go and spend and, 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 and enjoy it. And so we need to begin to break down this hypocrisy, this fraud that announces itself as religion. Because look, I'm religious. I happen to be Catholic. I go to mass almost on a daily basis, right? But if your Christianity is not reflected in the life you lead, if there are gaps between what you profess, you can't profess faith in, in a God that says that do not steal and then you steal and somehow you say God has blessed you. This is a mockery. And so it is actually time that our people began to stand up and correct pastors who give this this impression that success is not linked to work. That success is somehow a process, a, a mystical or magical process where you give the pastor some money in the name of God and um, one day, you know, um, you'll be walking around and then somebody will hand you a, 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 enough cash to buy a house. And people actually stand up in some churches and give such testimony it's obviously suborned, fraudulent witness. It is not true. It is not true. And our people need to be told that. You know, I'll give you a, a small example. A, a young woman in Nigeria was helped 
by a friend of mine, you know, he found out she was, in, you know, her husband is very sick. You, he used to be the breadwinner. He's been very sick. He's not, you know, won any bread or, or Fanta or anything. <laughs> so a friend of mine sent her uh, some money. And so I was speaking with her and she said, oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, uh, the money is going to help me a lot, you know, uh, we're going to be able to eat. Uh-huh. But uh, I've, I've just brought out 10% to go and tight. So I said to her, I said, please don't give one cobble of this money that a friend of mine has given to you to f- eat with, with your family. Don't give one cobble of it to a pastor. I said, you have this pastor. How many times did the pastor say to you, uh, come and take some money to buy new clothing for your children. Take some money to eat. And then somebody helps you and you're going to get take 10% of that money and give to the pastor. So after talking to her, she said, thank you for opening my eyes. Um, so my brother, we need to deconstruct what passes as religion in Nigeria. Okay? Um, How does that happen? By um, what you and I are doing now, that's part of it, this podcast, when we tell people that it's illogical to associate God, who is supposed to be all good, okay, with something that is patently evil and illogical, okay, that people should know. I mean, I've been in churches where the pastor announced that People should sow today, and that God, you know, in fact, one pastor in Lagos um, said that God woke him up at something in the morning and told him to tell the people to double their seats that day and that this is the week he was going to give them more than enough. And so he started by saying people should raise their checks or the monies they want to give, and they raised it. And then he said, this is the, the, what God told me this morning. And then he said they should tear up their checks and write new checks and, you know, you should uh, then bring out more cash, double what you were going to give in cash. And I looked around and people were doing this. And I said, what kind of madness is this? Now, if you went to that church the next week, I can tell you that at least 99.9% of those who doubled their checks did not see any cobble come to them extra that week. Not because how does that happen? God maybe, doesn't print money. Maybe it's supposed to come next year. But he said this is the week. He said this is the week that God has said he would do this. Just all you need to do is to them. So and people will do this, and then they will come next week, and then uh, the preacher will preach and say, you know, some people, you know, have been asking God for something, and God says, ah, oh, persevere. Maybe it's next week I'm going to give it to you. And some people stop praying this week or stop fasting. So. Whenever you stop, then they say to you, ah, maybe it's the following week God was going to bless you, but you stopped. So spirituality, religion ought to be about our inner moral and spiritual transformation. Okay? So if we are not transformed, but all we do, we've reduced God to cash and carry phenomenon. Okay? So the evidence of our godliness is in how much car cash we have, is in the kind of car that we drive, is in the ca- how expensive our clothing is. That's silly. In which case, the most re- uh, religious people in the world would then be the billionaires and trillionaires in our world. 
and we know that some of them have no use for religion at all. Not that I'm holding them up, because I believe that materialism has its is not necessarily exciting. Okay, I mean there is um, um, an Indian guru that somebody uh, was showing me the other day who said which one that, of them? that you know somebody just showed him to me and he has this white chalk on, on his forehead and he was addressing an audience and I think he's actually was quoting uh, 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 Mahatma Gandhi. That some people are so terribly poor that all they have is money. Okay? So in our blind pursuit of money, we have reduced ourselves to to laughable. You know, I mean, we become ourselves, we've turned ourselves also into material uh things okay so that you find um or at least we measure our worth according to material things so you know so somebody uh, you know years ago i was um i i overheard two men arguing you know having an argument one says do you know me if i sell my shirt i'll buy you no i don't if you buy a shirt <laughs> for a million for a billion dollars it can't buy a human being it can't even buy a second of a human being. Well, maybe it's referring to slavery, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah. But but the thing is, the essence of a human being, you can't buy it. You know, it's just like for all the wealth that people accumulate, when you when it's your time to go, to die, right? You couldn't say to death, you know, go take my driver. He's a poor man. Uh, I want to leave to, to see my next birthday in 30 days or whatever. No, it's your time to go. You can't buy another second, however much money you have. That's you know? true, though. So, very true. So, very, very so true. we need to begin to question some of what passes for religion in our society, um, and 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 we we you know we have to tell our people that success is tied to hard work and. You know, and this is also important in the political arena. You know, when people voted for Buhari, somebody said, oh, you know, uh, we'll vote for him and he will solve the question of corruption. I said, look at you. I said, this man, even if he meant to, even if he, even if he had the capacity, he's a 70-something-year-old man, okay? And what you're saying is, I'm not going to do anything about corruption, but I'm going to hire one man to go and solve the problem. No, one man can solve the problem. Okay? Just like, you know, you rightly said it, when things happen in Nigeria, we said that's how God wanted it. Our roads are in terrible disrepair. Okay? Our cities are dirty. Okay? People are not paid their salaries. Our our hospitals are ill-equipped. Our educational institutions have few facilities. So we are wired for mediocrity. And then on those pothole pothole roads, somebody will have an accident and people will say, that's how God wanted it. No, if the road were good, there would not be that accident. There are accidents in countries where roads are good, but it's not, you don't have them in the same, uh, at the same regularity or frequency, if you like as you have accidents when roads are in terrible shape. 
you know so we have trucks we have um uh haulers in nigeria that you know that are hauling freight and it's not tie you know it's not welded to the uh not the, yeah not tied down and so they get into uh a pothole and then the 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 the, the truck you know tips and often crushes any cars by his side and people say that's how god wanted it god is that <laughs> that ridiculous you know so you know we we actually mock the very idea of god you know you know we say that we can just fast and pray and go and borrow money and give the pastor money and god is one day we're going to look in our bank accounts and god has made a deposit there it's never happened it has never happened and it will not happen so people better wake up better start working for their livelihood insist that pastors work for their own livelihoods rather than prey on people's uh but it's, it's easy to prey on, on a population of people who are impoverished yes i mean it's easy to say all these things but you know poverty is like darkness man it's easy to tell a population of people mm-hmm. who are impoverished a lot of whom have okay go to school all right get mm-hmm. a degree okay mm-hmm. do this okay do and a lot of whom, short of going into government, does it doesn't work. You see, almost all of them go politicians, young actors, musicians, mm-hmm. all going into government. Like in most countries, like you know, around the world, um, not all, but a, a, a large amount of them, you'd never find a musician that, that is supposed to be at the peak of his career going to public service. Because mm-hmm. um, what it, you do also is public it, service. It's anyway. public service. That's what I was going to you know, say. Well, yeah. It's public I mean, service. So why, why would you want to go at, at, at the height mm-hmm. of your career in your 20s, your 30s, yeah, your yeah. 40s? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 jumping into politics. like. Mm-hmm. But you see it in Nigeria. Actors. Yeah. And that's what musicians. I tell, yeah, you know, and and um, I actually, to use myself as, as an example, so over the years, over the 18 years or so that I wrote a column, weekly column on Nigeria, some people would uh, either in the form of um, uh, um, a kind of um, uh, flattery or as a kind of uh, criticism, say to me, uh, why don't you go and run for something? Well, why don't you go and accept a, p- a position and, and, and serve? And I said to them, writing a column is service. And and I said, teaching, being a teacher, um, a public teacher, is service but what has happened is that you find people who are excellent medical doctors excellent lawyers excellent doctors uh, dentists excellent journalists in nigeria leaving the profession where they can thrive and hopping into politics because that's where the money is and so they go in there into politics and they they are disastrous they're not called to be politicians uh, but, you know, they feel this is where it's happening. Well, that's not where it's happening. If you're a, a doctor who knows how to treat people, who knows how to save lives, and you jump, uh, jump into politics, it's not happening for you in politics. All that is happening for you in politics is that maybe you're making money, more money than you, than you would as a medical doctor. But the way I look at myself my self-fulfillment comes when I write a good sentence, okay? When I 
write a good sentence, a good column, a good book, and people read it and they are moved by it, they are enlarged by it. That's where I get my most satisfaction. If I became, and years ago, you know, when I, when I lived in Nigeria, a governor of my home state offered me to be his press secretary. And I said, no. And he said that I should then be his chief speechwriter. I said, no. And the people from my town heard about this and were absolutely astonished and upset. They said, ah, you would have lived in GRA, Enugu. Uh, you would have had uh, two or three cars. Uh, you would have put people in jobs and so on and so forth. I said, well, I will not be happy. I wanted to do what would make me happy. And what would make me happy was to write. I didn't have a car at the time, but I wrote uh, a column in the papers and I would show up and introduce myself. And people would say, oh, are you okay? I read what you wrote last week. And I really liked it. It opened my eyes in some very good way, right? For me, that was more important than the cars I would get as a press secretary or as chief, chief speech writer and so on. But anyway, but what, what we do is that we leave what we can do best and we run into politics. And we don't go into politics for the right reasons. We go into it to make money. And so we become disastrous uh, politicians when we could have been excellent, at least very good at a different profession. Uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at it overall, I wouldn't dispute that analysis of disastrous politicians, but I'd say a lot of them feel like success in, is just getting in there and taking taking money until making it, just taking it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's in the end, in the end, my brother, um, w when you are not in the madness, and I'm, I'm, you know, I consider myself fortunate not to be in the madness. When you are not, when you're not in the madness, right? Um, you you have a perspective of of um, of things, and you don't envy these people. Uh, you know, I have this favorite phrase which is not original to me at all i heard somebody use it and i've been using i found it particularly resonant so i've been using it ever since and um it's it, somebody says that they nigeria or nigerians a lot of nigerians are in a rat race most people in the world are in a rat race in a rat race for for materialism but that the tragedy is that the winner of the rat race remains a rat. Yep. And so... A very dirty one too. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I, I went to visit a friend of mine who happens to be a public figure in Nigeria and uh, has accumulated, you know, quite a bit of money. And um, in his country home, his, I went to his country home, and the country home was so huge that it was vulgar. Hmm. Vulgar. Um, this is a man with a small family, but he has a home that could take a hundred people hmm. in comfortably in his in the country, you know, in his village. Yeah. And I, I I went to visit him with a friend 
and you could see that he was showing us off, trying to impress us. But when we came out, my friend and I were leaving. I had a thought in my mind, and my friend beat me to it. He said he felt sorry, so sad for this man, seeing this monstrosity that is built in his village. And he says, what for? So the only way that it made sense to have that kind of house is if you had 50 people who were sleeping there every day. That's one. And also, if you were guaranteed that you would live maybe for 300, 400 years, you know, for a man who was already past middle age to go build that sort of thing, um, you must every day look and hope that you're going to have many years to spend there. But no, you don't have those years. You know, you've lived more than half of your life on earth. Uh, in all given, you know, the life expectancy that most humans have. Um, but, or I have friends who own, or I know people, not friends necessarily, who own 15, 20 cars. And I say, what measure of sickness leads one person to have so many cars, not as a form of investment, just cars that you use. You you buy a wasting asset and you pack it. And in Nigeria, a lot of them just cover the car <laughs> uh, for years. Um, <laughs> you know, and I have a, a relative who owns a very expensive car, Rolls Royce in Nigeria. So I asked him, I said, um, how often do you drive it? And he said, I've not driven it for two years. And he said uh, he, he drove it to one event and he said the way people were looking at him, he felt that they were looking at him with disgust and that he's not had the courage. Now, meanwhile, he bought this car. He took it to Nigeria. Um, a lot of money. Uh, if you consider how much work that uh, the money for one car could have created, how many people's lives it could have transformed, but it's just packed there. You know, and um, and it's not like it has resale value because you know most Nigerians who have money for a Rolls Royce will much rather buy the latest, brand new. So you know, so you are stuck yep. with a poor decision that uh, that you made. Um, so yeah, I agree with you that a lot of these people have this trade-off. They leave their professions and they think we're going to go into politics and we make money. Money is the end thing, and money is good, by the way. I don't want to be seen. Uh, um, beating up on the wealthy if you make your wealth in a legitimate way um, it is wonderful which is why a lot of Nigerians look at the billionaires of America okay they look at uh, Steve Jobs or they look at uh, Zuckerberg or Facebook or they look at um, um they, 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 um, they, they, they man at Amazon, um, and they think of Bill Gates, right? And they focus on the money. But for these men, what is important is what they have created, the ideas that they have created, the ways in which they have changed the way that the world 
holds itself in conversation, the way the world communicates or trades or um, um, or talks, you know. So that's, for them, that's key, you know. And the money came after this great idea. Uh, but our people focus on the money, you know, alone. And so that's why you have... Um, on creative people who have not produced anything, neither ideas nor products, but they have just stolen the resources of the country and they walk around feeling like they're on top of the world. And then one day they find that it's all nothing, really. Yeah, well, I mean, that's very philosophical. We try sometimes. I mean, it's very philosophical. It's very... um, grounded you know it grounds people like yeah you don't need to do this because even at the end of the day when you do that man it's it's like you know you're gonna you're gonna get to this point where you're gonna have this regret that's all fine and dandy when you're saying that but when people are in the in the middle of doing something mm-hmm. you know like my dad used to say when we were kids he was when we, when we became adolescents he would just make statements like he doesn't know why people put all this energy into sex that is just like three minutes of pleasure. <laughs> so like looking at the man, like, yo, what are you talking about? Yeah. But yeah. at this point in time, you know, who were you talking to? A bunch of teenagers who were like, yo, whatever, man. I don't it, care what you think. Yeah, even during the, when you talk about sex, right? It's three, three minutes or, you know, well, that was 30 his, minutes That, that was his definition. Of, of pleasure. I, I, I don't but, know if he, but, he had but, three minutes. But, so but, I got but, no idea. But, but as we know, there are, bigger things that come out of it. You came out of it, I came out of sex, my children came out of sex, your children are coming out of that 30, it's, it's easier three, three it's, minutes or 30 minutes. It's easier saying it when people are, have passed that adolescent, <laughs> teenager, yeah. early 20s stage, yeah. and then you're like, you're mid-20s and their life is different and people have graduated. And mm. then when you start saying to most people who are now like, most of your classmates, now it makes sense. Yeah. But saying to you when you're like 14, <laughs> Just a waste of time. Man. I just look at my like, damn. So, uh-huh. damn. I, I watch people having twenty minutes of sex. Yours is three minutes, man. Serious? <laughs> you know, I, I I think he probably made it up to I don't know. Yeah. I, I, you know, but that's what he would say. That's what it's worth. Like, yeah. To quote him, yeah. like, yeah, just three minutes of sex. Yeah. You know, is that what you people are all like? I'm like, yo, man. You know, it's easy. Fine. Yeah. I didn't stop yeah. anybody from doing what they wanted to do or mm-hmm. not do. Mm-hmm. Um, when you say it now. To a lot of people, especially when you say to people when they when you're in your twenties, thirties, and you start, yeah, you, you get a lot ma- more mature than like, yeah, it's just it's just a waste of time, mm. man. You know, now you look back, you're like, damn, I wish I didn't waste all my energy looking for, <laughs> yeah, man. But 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 in the moment, man, if you take anybody yeah. back to that moment, yeah. So to me, it's, it's similar. When you say all these things, you're like, mm. well, you know, it's just uh, mm. uh, all the money you get. You can't even drive the Rolls Royce because mm. you feel like an animal or some people you could even add mm. some people will even invent ways like I remember some guy that used to make sure his Rolls Royce was I think it was in Guinidium or so his Rolls Royce was driven to the high table really like he didn't want to see anybody <laughs> I can't remember who he was and don't quote me as a Guinidium but there was some guy in Nigeria uh-huh. who would always make sure when he was invited it was to the high table and then there was a direct way to drive his Rolls Royce straight yeah. to the high table yes <laughs> <laughs> Maybe part of that was, you know, grandioso, you know, grandizement, whatever it was. 
Um, and part of that was just like, yo, I don't want all these people looking at me. So you know, I, so. I know what I've done, man. <laughs> but you guys should, you guys should let bygones be bygones. Let me enjoy my car. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know, but preaching no, that to the no, choir no, no. is easier. Actually, I think that perhaps the whole point for him was that everybody must see him arriving in style. Kind of. You know? Kind of. Yeah, which, uh, you know, I, I mean, I was laughing because, I, you know, in my mind I said, uh, when you look at the serious people in the world, the people who are producing the things that are changing the world, transforming our lives and so on, they are not engaged in that puny little drama. It is... They, well, some of them have good stuff, but yeah. Non-entities, the mediocre. Yeah, you know what I mean? They, they, you could have a, a Rolls Royce, but it doesn't define you. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, if you have um, if you have uh, billions that you've earned from, you know, really creating something by some of these men. If you go out every day and work and then what you do actually created... Um, a large amount of wealth or a decent amount or whatever yes. amount of yeah, wealth and, for you. And, but, Most yeah, times you're not engaged in that. Precisely. You know, or you could have a Rolls Royce, but you know, it's not like, hey, let me drive to the center of an event so people will see me. Because the person who is doing this, uh, who, you know, who's earned the money to buy this thing says, hey, you know, my game is larger than a Rolls Royce. The Rolls Royce is a puny little thing yep. compared to the bigger drama. Yep. I mean, if you, if, if you think of uh, Bill Gates, right? He's done so much in the world, right? And and so if he drives a Rolls Royce and he's saying, come and see me, matter? he's actually belittling himself, right? He wouldn't uh-huh. even, would even, would let you see his private yeah, plane yeah, or anything. Yeah, it's just like uh, Nigerians who call themselves Chief Dr. Sir, right? I said, look, if you are really <laughs> confident that you're somebody in the world, do you understand? If you meet, well, I'm yeah, sure if you, you meet you Bill Gates, yeah, if you meet, if you meet even, you know, I, I'm in academia in this country, and you meet some of the most educated people in the world, their card will just say their name, you know, yeah, without doctor, without professor, you know, because they don't need that that help to lift them up. You know, the, the, the only their work I, speaks for them. The only people I ever see that introduce themselves like that, like maybe an MD that is like 25 and just finished yes, med school. Yes, yes, yes. And they're like, yeah. Yo, I'm a doctor. Yeah, uh, you know, yeah. but generally speaking, yeah. it's 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 yeah, rare people, people in most places to get that yeah, kind of introduction. Yeah, people, that, you know, you meet people. They say, you know, I'm, I'm Joe, Joe Smith, and so on. But you know, Sorry. you go to village meetings, you know, and it's, it's happening. <laughs> no, you know, actually, a friend of mine just told me last week yeah. that in his village meeting, the the, the the which happened recently, the meeting was grounded because. They were reading the minutes and called a woman who is um, a, a doctor, Mrs. So-and-so, and called her husband, Mr. And they held up the meeting <laughs> for a long time. The woman said, I'm, 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 I'm a doctor lady and her husband is chief, uh, chief sir. You know, because, you know, uh, what yeah, I don't know what is, has a title and he has a knighthood in the church. And I said, look. Anyway, 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 that we can talk about all yeah, of that, that stuff is right, you know. in a different. But that, that's one reason why I, I find it virtually impossible. I mean, I find it hard to to relate to a lot of those people. I find it hard to go to their functions. Yes, and yeah, man, if you're listening, yes, that's why I don't come. <laughs> that's why I don't come. Now you know. So you know, uh, yeah, man, I find it hard. Like you just go there and like, you know, I get. It's more understandable to me if somebody wants to measure whether your, whether your car is bigger than their car. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you're still, yeah. you still have issues, yeah. serious issues. Yeah. But like trying to see who has more 
titles. Yeah. Or like, yeah. Oh, who can be called? Yeah. Like, yeah. We don't even know if you have them. You have been called. Yeah, them. being called. Yeah. Oh, you had to be yeah. accurate. It has mm-hmm. to be chief doctor, Mr. Chief like, yeah. doctor, sir. You know, yeah, I've and never, a lot of these people have no doctorate. You know, um, awarded, yeah, awarded yeah, stuff. So, and even if they did, so yeah, what? What, what yeah. do you have it in? Yeah, precisely. So I mean, it's, it's just like you say. A lot of people have a lot of things. Yeah, you go out, um, you see, you know, that that's just something you've done for mm-hmm. for a lot of them. So. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, man. Nigeria, when you go to, it, it's a pain when you go to all those meetings or you go to something or you go to a wedding. I dread going to, I, you know, I went to a wedding. We went to a wedding um, a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously I'm, I'm headed, man. It was a white <laughs> wedding. Yes. It was a, when I say a white wedding, okay, let me rephrase. Church wedding. Let me rephrase. <laughs> it was a wedding for white people, a wedding for white people, <laughs> okay. by white people. Yeah. You know. And we were the only black people there. <laughs> Serious, man. <laughs> Serious, man. But that's what the most enjoyable way this ever went. Because yeah. it was it was like straightforward. Yes. It was a, a pretty typical Northeastern American white wedding. Mm-hmm. Northeastern American wedding that white people are having. Yeah. So you have bride and groom. They both work, blah, 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 regular people. They want to trade a big wedding. You know, they're saving all their money. They're mm. starving, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, and the way they're talking about it, because obviously it, it, it's quite normal in cases like this. When they invite you to a wedding, mm-hmm. you have some kind of relationship to them. Mm-hmm. In case you are listening, you yes. know, in Nigeria, you just show up. Yes. When you know someone that knows the person, you don't do that here, man. And even when you know the person very well, you need to be invited. I'm just saying, man, I'm hey, whatever it is. Anyway, so, you know, you get like, you've been planning for like, yeah, you know, you, you, you get this impression like, yo, like, you know, judging from your Nigerian background, in my case, like, yo, man, this might be, where these people are planning, man, you know, this, this is going, these people are going to throw the house down, man, this is something that, <laughs> yo, man, Hulk Hogan, my President Trump might even show up, man, you know, <laughs> you know, but they are planning every single detail, costing it, trying yeah. to save, um, trying to see who, which parent is bringing which money, if none is bringing any, how much they're going to save, trying to plan for their lives afterwards, you know, trying to save money. Oh, we're going to, we're going to, um, we're going to go on honeymoon. Oh, should we buy a house now? Okay, if we're buying a house now, let's buy a house like one year before the wedding. Or like a wedding I'm going for. They decided to buy a I mean, I haven't get into that. I've seen, I've seen weddings where people ended up buying houses. Um, people ended up buying houses like, the, the, the week of the wedding mm-hmm. and not like they could really afford it but they, you know whatever they wanted people to have um, a, a grand dose of mm. pressure on them as if we're going to your house whatever man anyway mm. <laughs> anyway so you know we get there and it's, it's, it's a pretty straightforward ceremony mm-hmm. regular you know it was, it was just oh okay it's like a regular <laughs> northeastern to uh, um, regular people you know uh, in this case, they went to college, graduated, uh, the masters, and all that stuff. Blah blah blah. It's regular people, you wouldn't even know. Um, they're colleagues of, of, of my wife. So anyway, yeah, you know, regular stuff coming, ceremony outside. Pa pa pa. I was done on time, as they put in the invitation. Then Poof. the reception. That was the reception. It was the same venue. Poof. They care after in between. So they came out. Uh, did the rounds, greeted people, showed appreciation for people showing up. That was it. Um, and then they went into the reception. They came out, and when they came out, you know, it wasn't even. I was thinking like, okay, I, I give you, I give you. Where, where I just like, damn man. Where I was like, damn man. I was like, they had three bridesmaids and three groomsmen. Mm-hmm. Now most Nigerian weddings I know who not, especially in America, 
like I, we're talking about it, like I got friends. I went to I went to my cousin's wedding, and then I saw a whole lineup of guys all dressed up in in, in groomsmen's suits, yeah. and I saw a whole lineup of girl, ladies all dressed up. And of course, everybody's dressed up like they came from an ostrich party, like you know, <laughs> <laughs> they all dressed up like that. <laughs> the way they always dressed up, and they're all in uniform, you know, like the same the same slave master owns all of you. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, <laughs> including my wife was in the same uniform. So, <laughs> so everyone's in the same uniform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was my cousin, not her relative. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they are like bouncing up and down. And I'm like, wow. What, what, what? Wow. So these guys know all these people. This is fantastic, man. Wow. In in 10 years in America, they've, they've, they've come in and she's known all these people with her mm-hmm. husband. Fantastic. And I see one of my classmates there from secondary school. I'm like, yo, hey, what's up, bro? Uh, yeah, man, you know, I said, how do I know Stanley? I'm like, I, I, sorry, sorry to call her. Whatever. You know your name. Anyway, I didn't call your last name. I didn't even know your last name. <laughs> it's your problem. Uh, I, I said, I don't know Stanley. I'm related to the distant. Like, yeah, he breaks it down for me. Like, yo, oh, okay. Like, yo, I'm like, I'm related to the, his, his, his now wife mm-hmm. at this point in time. Mm-hmm. It's late in the evening, so his now wife. Mm-hmm. I'm related to his wife. Like, oh, oh okay. Like, are you guys not like, oh, no, we don't we don't know. I don't really know him. I'm like, boy, you are like a groomsman. How does this work? Did they hire you to be a groomsman? Like, I'm thinking like, you don't really know this dude. Like, you just showed up in this dude. Like, 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 no, they belong to this uh, club. Yes. It's a club. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Let me call them. Not call their, a whole bunch of these clubs. They're all generic. Let's call them. Let's call them uh, Umugbedu Fest. <laughs> Whatever they have there. Let's just use that name for them. Umugbedu Fest. So they belong to this club. I'm like, oh, so how does the club work? Yeah, they always have functions. Weddings, uh, 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 Birth, child birth, child uh, uh, church, whatever dedication, whatever term you choose to use, mm-hmm. baptism. I just use uh, baptizing my child. Period. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't invite the whole village. Mm-hmm. By the way, in case you didn't get an invite, yeah, I didn't invite you. You don't need to come. Okay? You know, you don't, you're not, you're not required to be there. I don't see, I don't see what purpose you serve. That's why I didn't invite you. Not, nothing personal. I just don't see the purpose you serve. Anyway, so you know, as hard as it was, like yeah. For every event, you have to donate. Oh, every man. event, you have to donate. Um, now, you, you, there's a limit you could skip hmm. and not donate. But you have to donate. So, okay, just donate. Hmm. Like, generally, yes, you donate. You have to donate about like 80% or 90% of the events, pretty much. Hmm. Um, because you too, you receive. I said, wow, so that's the way this thing works. I'm like, okay. Um, so, what else? So, you have to go for everything. Like, no, but, you know, hmm. you have to go for like half of them. Hmm. I'm like, wow. Is it really worth it? Like, well, you know, it depends, you know. And this guy's not not married. He has a kid. It depends. If you have functions, you know, they'll come, they'll show up. Mm. I'm looking at time calculating like that. Like, yeah, I was, I'm like thinking like, man, this might be a good thing to join to make me look good, you know. So, <laughs> I'm really like, I have all kinds of weird thoughts. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like thinking like, yeah, you know. But yeah, you start thinking about it like, so every weekend I'm going out to, <laughs> so, you know, if I have something else to do on the weekend, I have to cancel it and go to some guy's function, like this guy yeah. that looked like he was a hostage. <laughs> like, like he clearly didn't want to be. <laughs> you know, you have to go there and then, and then all for what? Maybe you get, if you, if you are so successful with, with, with hosting events and doing stuff, Maybe you get a thousand extra, mm-hmm. like dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all for all to ruin your yeah. your entire year's weekend. Yeah. So it was like that when I went for. I just saw three bridesmaids mm-hmm. and three, and they were doing it in the town they are both from, mm-hmm. in the state they are both from. It was mm-hmm. in Connecticut. They are both from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. They both grew up in Connecticut. They both went to school in schools in Connecticut as well. 
college and high school and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they could easily have had 15, mm-hmm. 20 bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. They wanted, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I don't view either of them as very, until the, although the, the husband is the only child, but it didn't seem anti. In fact, the, the husband's mother and her best friend, they've been friends like 30 years since mm. the kids were, you know, they, they, they were all there, the family, like, you know, so I didn't view them as anti-social that they can't mm-hmm. get 15 people mm-hmm. to, if they wanted to. But they looked at it, looked at their budget, what was the point of having extra expenditure mm-hmm. and all that stuff. You know, they had three people for the simple wedding, popped in. As they popped in, they did their first dance, da, 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 sat down, they had some talk. They did the uh, um, like second dance or something like that. And then they had like the toast. And they did a second, not a second dance, they did like a father, daughter, mother, their son dance. Then they had the open the floor people dance. They had the toes, they put the distance. Then they had uh, another dance and then they opened the floor and then they had the closing this thing. Hmm. And that was it. And I, I think it was probably the whole ceremony. Where, and you know, after that, they, they walked around again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. table to table, thanked everybody, both of them. And I think everything probably lasted I think we're done like five. Everything was like one to five, like four hours. I've only gone for a wedding that was that organized in Nigeria once. Mm. Once. I remember that mm. wedding. That was once. Everything mm-hmm. was supposed to, it was, it was, the church was a different venue. Mm. And that, I think the church service was like 10 or something like that. Mm-hmm. That was done. Uh, but the reception started at, at one mm-hmm. and finished at four. Mm. And I think part of that was that same thing they, they just, those guys decided to work within their budget mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but yeah you don't you don't generally have that with that like I, I got a couple of weddings this year man you know i got one some coming up and i'm dreading going mm. you know to be honest i you know you get there it's all chaos it's all mm. you know um i remember one wedding they went for man like the whole bride's family the whole bride's the whole uh groom's relatives sorry we were on the groom side in this wedding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, we didn't even get any assigned seating and everybody, mm. you know, it was all chaos. So yeah. to me, that's simplicity. Like people just like, mm. yo, and if you had seen how much they said, how much they scrapped, they first, they went in, in progression because they, they could afford to, they obviously from the state of Connecticut and mm-hmm. they, they had grown up there, went to college there and they were now working there, both of them. Mm. They could afford to go in progression. They had all that, even though the, the husband, has a stepdad, his dad and his dad are not on good terms. But anyway, mm-hmm. they could afford to go in progression. Like, okay, we're gonna buy a house, buy a house, take like a year, let's get it, let's get accustomed, climatized, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, okay, we'll we'll plan the wedding, pay for, mm-hmm. you know, it's easier for them too in a way because of course your whole family's here. You mm-hmm. had grandmothers there, great grand, great mm-hmm. grandmothers there, not great grandmothers, but grandmothers are alive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more difficult for us as immigrants to like have that kind of wedding. Because mm-hmm. you have like family scattered, like I got my, I got family in, in the UK, I got family in Nigeria, um, I got family here in all kinds of places. Um, to do a wedding would be like monumental, mm-hmm. um, of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a lot more difficult to get, even if I, even if you went to Nigeria and be like, okay, at this time in my life to like, oh yeah, be like, even if you went to Nigeria to do that kind of wedding. You'd have to have like so many people coming if you came here. You to, so you know, I just I just look at it. I see that kind of um, mm-hmm. I'm using the wedding as an example. That kind of simplicity mm-hmm. in people's lives. Like even though they've been talking about it, I thought it was going to be so. Mm-hmm. It was a well organized mm-hmm. ceremony. They mm-hmm. they, they mm-hmm. thought mm-hmm. of almost everything they had to think of, mm-hmm. and it's like a regular Caucasian white mm-hmm. ceremony. I have to tell you though, you know, sort of not quite in defense of uh, the Nigerian way of doing things, but. 
there should be a place for cultural choice. So there is a little bit of um, of organized chaos that Nigerians thrive in, and I think uh, there's something to be said for it. For example, my wife and I have had three weddings. Okay, so we started out by having a justice of the peace, very small wedding that happened in our apartment uh, when we lived in an apartment. And then we had a church wedding in the U.S. Then we went to Lagos, where my wife is from, and we had a traditional wedding uh, at which 800 people that came. Now, I had my cousins, my friends who just brought people that I didn't know, right? My wife had cousins and friends who just came and brought their friends. Um, and I enjoyed each wedding, you know, I mean, the intimacy of the Justice of the Peace wedding where these were friends of ours that we knew that we called, just a few of them to fit into our apartment uh, to, to, to be witnesses to this consummation of, of this matrimonial thing. Uh, um, ties and then the church wedding was larger we had a reception at my wife's university it was huge but I introduced an Nigerian element I, I I used oh by the way yeah so that's something so I what frustrates me about Nigerian weddings is the long uh, tedious protocol the fact that sometimes it takes an hour and a half to call the people to come to the I'm high table. You, so I, I decided with my wife and I decided that we were not going to have a high table. Uh, just she and I strolled in and took one table with her mother and, uh, you know, her brother who was there with his wife. We just sat at the table. So if you looked into the hall, there was no table that was high. There was no table. You couldn't, you had to ask who the bride and bridegroom were. The other thing I did was, I said, there's not going to be a ceremony where people are going to, you know, so we had no chairman of the occasion. We just had the MC. And so nobody was going to uh, start giving a long speech and, you know, giving advice that is so, you know, uh, simplistic, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, father of the day, mother of the day, of high, high traditional ruler of the day, mm-hmm. you know, all of that was out the door. And... Nigerian weddings that I attend, they make a big deal. They put food as item number 11. Yeah. So they start late. Yep. People are extremely hungry and they say, ah, no, if people eat food, they will go. I, yeah. said, I, I said, this is an insult really of people. Annoying. You know, it's not as if people came to your wedding because <laughs> they are hungry. <laughs> well, some might you know? have. I don't know so, in Nigeria. So what we did was we did a buffet style. So as you walked into the hall, you grab can go plate, and grab food and go sit down. There's no, there shouldn't be a ceremony around yeah. food. Yeah. You know? Um, and then two weeks after I did mine, a cousin of mine had a wedding in New York. My wife and I went. My wife was pregnant then. And the, my cousin called me and said, ah, you have to be at the high table. I said, I don't believe in high tables. And he thought I was being modest. He said, oh, no, you are up to being at the high table. I said, I don't like the high table because I really find high tables boring. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I know much. that there are Nigerians who will kill if they're not put at the high table. Oh, yeah. I will kill not to be put there because as I, I tell people and this is self self interest because I like talking to a lot of people. If you're at the high table, the only people you can talk to are the 
man or woman to your right, the man or woman to your left, you know, and you just say hi, hi, and a lot of oh, times yeah. you don't yeah. know that. Yeah, like a zoo animal. Yeah, you, <laughs> and they, what they do is that then they put a lot of beers, bottles of beer in front of you, they put a, a bottle of wine or two, a whiskey like in front a prisoner. of you. I said, yeah, you know, I said, I don't care for these things, right? I want to be there, milling around, walking around, talking to people. So when I, even when I do events for Nigerian groups, uh, when I talk to them in, in this country or in Nigeria, I say, I don't sit at the high table. I'll sit with the audience. When it's time for me to speak, I can come up and speak and go back. And some of them say, oh, you're very uh, humble. I say, no, I'm, I'm self-interest. I like to talk to people. Up, up there in the high table for me is boring. But of course, there are Nigerians who feel that if they are at the high table, that means they are important, right? So anyway, but there is something clinical about the way that our American friends can do their things, you know. So I have again known American uh, friends who've had weddings and, you know, some of their cousins who complained that they were not invited. And I'll say to them, hey, if my cousin were a wedding, I don't wait for an invitation. <laughs> I show up, you know. I said, you know, and they say, oh, no, you know, you'll be driven away and so on. But I, I also think that a little bit, you know, so I like that sense of a little chaos. But of course, there should be organization, right? You should know how many people we insisted that everybody who was coming to our wedding in America tell us so that we'll know how many seats we had, yep. right? But in Nigeria, there were canopies, there were, you know, it was in the open. Um, and Anybody so, so some by, of my, some of, like, my some of my wife's relatives brought drinks and brought food and invited 20 friends of theirs good, and served them, you know, so it was a, a celebration, it was a fierce and it was beautiful and brilliant. But what we need, I think, is a measure of, of organization. We have to begin to organize, even when we throw, if you're throwing a big party and you say, okay, just bring people, make sure that, you know, there'll be a place for them to sit. Make sure that there'll be enough people to serve them. You know, because what you find in Nigerian weddings is that uh, when it's time to do food, people will be there shouting, give me a plate, give me a bag, give me, you know, this soup, give me, you know, so it's a zoo because there's no planning. People have not arranged for those who will serve and the people or the few people who have been asked to serve are favoring those they know. So they're taking food and going to, oh, my husband, my husband's friend, you know, yeah. so that's who you give food to. And then the other people will be begging, I haven't eaten, you know, so <laughs> it, it's, you know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I go, even, even in, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, it doesn't feel in Nigeria. Even in, even in America, I go for Nigerian wedding. Yeah. And then once I see it's like there's an in-between between church and this thing, mm -hmm. after the church, if, mm -hmm. if I go to the church part, which yeah. I, I usually do, um, after the church, I just go straight to look for some food. Yes. Because it, it, it almost never feels they will not serve you food on time. Yes. You're going to get there. Mm -hmm. You're going to be chilling. Food is like mm -hmm. the big ostrich in the room. Exactly. It's a big question. Yes. Like, yes. when are we going to eat? eat. What are we going to eat? Like, like, come on, just serve the food. Life goes on. Those people that want yes. to go, go. They've yeah. come. Yeah. You know, it's almost like you want to hold them hostage. Yeah. To yeah. You ready to let them it's go. Like, like, you know, if people <laughs> don't want to come to your wedding and they've come to eat. Guess what? I'll give them food. Eat and go. Yeah, exactly. You know, if that's what you really... If you're so hungry yeah. that you've come to my wedding to eat, then you should eat. You yeah. know? And if that's all you've come for, 
eat and live. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's like a microcosm of just like the way Nigeria works. I think it's so funny. Like it's, it's exactly like the way Nigeria works. When you see Nigerian weddings, I don't know if that was always the case, mm-hmm. but when I see every time I go for one, it's almost like, damn. Like the last one, I when I go for uh, white people's weddings and mm-hmm. stuff like that, I don't really have to think much. I just know I'm set. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm either wearing a suit or not wearing a suit. I, you know, I'm, I know I'm set. Mm-hmm. But when you go for a Nigerian you wedding, have, you have a seat assigned to you. You have a table. That's it. You come. Um, if it comes time to take photographs, there's a time when you'll be called oh, yeah. because they will say friends off. <clears throat> you step up. Excuse me, and then you go take a picture. But you know, in our cases, everybody, ah, like, okay, let me take with uh, with uh, with our wife. Let me take with our husband. Let, you know, <clears throat> and you find somebody who wants to be in every picture. So oh, yeah. even if you say, okay, this is the friends of the groom, he will jump in. <laughs> this, these are the classmates of the groom. He yeah. jumps in. You know? like, <laughs> and then like, you say, bro. leave. You are, you are not a class. Eh, but he's my brother. <laughs> so, anyway. That stuff is so funny, man. It's hilarious, man. Yeah. When those yeah. guys, I'm just like, whatever, man. <laughs> when I go to those places, I'm really like, whatever. I just try and avoid the spotlight. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, mark my attendance. And if, you how, know. How did we get on this exciting subject of? Of well, weddings I, and it's a microcosm <laughs> of, of, of the Nigerian society, just like you say, oh, you know, it, it's looking at it like well, we're talking about, um, um, you know, um, um, the organization and the, the thought process in Nigeria, more or less, you mm-hmm. know, we're leading off from, mm-hmm. from religious stuff and all that. Uh, you know, when you think about it, um, it doesn't really, I mean, it doesn't really matter how we got here, but it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But when you, when you look at it, that even when Nigerians want to have fun, mm-hmm. when you get down for weddings, Mm. Well, it's all chaos. It's mm. all, mm. um, it's all, it's, it's just interesting. Mm. Mm. Like a micro, you go there and most of, most Nigerian weddings I go for, I end, maybe I expect too much, Yeah. but I end up not having fun. Mm. Mm. Um, I end up just being like, okay, mm. uh, I gotta yeah. go. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. You know, I mean, you go to, um, um, when I speak to in Nigeria, and I do a fair amount of speaking these days, it's 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 a mixture of experiences. There are places you go to where they have mastered uh, time management, um, but um, I've been in events in Nigeria where the MC thinks that he's um, both a master of ceremony and um, a. a um, in-house philosopher <laughs> and uh, a comedian rolled yeah. into one. So so the event is total a total of two hours. The man takes an hour and a half just talking. And, you know, so sometimes they say, you know, they're indicating he should stop. And he thinks that, you know, listen, you don't know how funny I can be. And he's saying something really trite and, you know, absurd, you know, but he's, you know, displaying himself, you know, thinking, hey, people must know me today, you know, they must know that uh, they met uh, MC Jaguar. MC JJ Cole. And, you know, so that sort of thing, you know, that um, um, they don't know that if you're an, an MC, you are a facilitator, you are to be seen but not heard, that you are just going to move the occasion from one moment to another moment as seamlessly as possible. And you, sh- you should just come introduce I've, the next speaker I've quickly. Almost, I've almost never get... met a Nigerian MC that does that. No. I no, never, I, no. I'm, 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 I'm not even trying to, yeah. no, I'm, I'm, 
you know, I think Niger- for Nigeria, there's a redefinition of MC. Mm-hmm. The MC should be the guy. He's a keynote speaker. He's the keynote speaker. In Nigeria, He's the, the one MC that paid for the regards wedding, himself <laughs> as the keynote speaker, you know. So he speaks and speaks and speaks. And to introduce everybody, he begins by saying that this person needs no introduction. 30 minutes later, he's still introducing the person. As this, we know this man. He is an indefatigable figure. He's a luminary. He's an icon. And of course, you know, we've devalued language so much that everybody is an icon in Nigeria. And um, it's it's one of those, my pet peeves, you know, people say to me, Okendebe is a a literary icon. I said, no, I'm not an icon. I said, an an icon, it's, it's, you know, it are rare. Icons are rare in the literary world. You know, you have to be like Shakespeare to be an icon. But you know, uh, you write um, one newspaper article in Nigeria, they will describe you as an icon. Yeah. You know, and um, so you know. Anyway, but it's part of this. Uh, you mentioned the peacock. Uh, we have written written years ago that Nigeria. Uh, in some ways can be likened to a peacock society where people are showing their plumage. Um, <laughs> and, and then, uh, but there's very little flight there, you know. So it's just flash, this spectacle, this color. Um, but what we need is a, a bit more substance, you know, so that you, if, if you... if you are, is how, how do we get it? That's always the question. It, and there is substance, you know, there is substance in Nigeria. I mean, Nigeria has some of the most highly educated people in the world. And I hope you sure. don't doubt that because, oh, no. you know, oh, they're no. doing great work in, in all over the world, in oh, Africa, no. elsewhere yeah. in Africa, uh, in the United States, in, in the UK, in Europe, in Asia, you know. So you find Nigerians uh, thriving uh, where ideas are treasured, where uh, the imagination, is, you know, is respected. Uh, but sadly, um, where should count in our, within the space of Nigeria, you find uh, the intellectual mocked, despised, denigrated, insulted. And um, so when you bring up ideas um, in the public space, people... Sort of dismiss what you said by saying, uh, Is it grammar will eat? You know, so they reduce your ideas to grammar. You know, mm-hmm. it's not the, the content, it's just that you, you're able to string words together. Um, I remember a friend of mine uh, worked with uh, a former governor of my home state, of Anambra State. And um, so um, the governor called a strategy session, and my friend. Uh, this was when the governor was looking for re-election. So my friend was coming up with ideas, you know, things that the governor ought to do. And somebody shouted him down and said, look, well, this is not time for grammar. It's time to bring out money. Let, let us mobilize, <laughs> you know. And of course, meaning give us money to share, give us money uh, to go and share to people. But of course, they're going to pocket most of the money, you know. So that kind of antipathy, that kind of hostility, to ideas um, is is stunning, and yet it's a country that has great men and women of profound ideas. So we have to find a way, really, to 
incorporate that into our public space. Uh, and that's why I was saying that it is not idealistic to hope for a different kind of leader, uh, leadership in Nigeria. Uh, for a long time, we've allowed mediocrities, we've allowed men and women who should have no business at all being in the public space to not only be in that space, but to monopolize it. Uh, it's time that we began to insist that those who understand the world, Buhari doesn't understand the world. Okay? Uh, He's looking for West Germany. Nor does Artiku, <laughs> nor does uh, Passenger. That one is probably uh, still yeah. looking for, you know? for, for God knows what, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so we need, we need people who understand the world, understand the current of ideas in the world to become leaders in Nigeria. All right, all right, yeah. On that note, um, and we, I, I think that you know, um, I was particularly enthralled by the our conversation about religion, but we should have a whole conversation on that, on oh, that yeah. subject. Oh yeah, next. We'll, we'll, we'll delve we'll delve more into that on the next episode, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, on that note, um, we call it a day for today. Always things happening in the world. Um, Always things to talk about next time, obviously. So, like I said, we'll put out one. There will always be things to talk about. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting couple months leading up to the elections in Nigeria. That's right. Yes. And we'll be talking about all of those. All yeah. Right. All right. We we'll look yeah. forward to it. All right, people. All right. Thanks for listening. All right. Ciao. That's good. <sighs> hey, dear listeners. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. Okay, and Bell myself. Mecca Onyagwa, you know, we aim to present to you guys a whole new um, perspective, format that you don't get anywhere else, but it's, it's, I can't stress that enough. It's not something that you can get anywhere else, you know. Um, we'll be delving into a whole bunch of issues, primarily Nigeria, um, Africa in general as well. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, we do for the most part record out, out of Africa, but it's something you should listen to as a unique perspective. It's it's holding no holds bar. Um, you know, it's a work in progress, but you should stay tuned, stick with us, stick with us on this journey, and it'll be worth it. Um, and yeah, without any further ado, let's get into the nitty gritty. Thanks. Mm-hmm.